like it's going to be fun. Hey, welcome to Crosstown. Welcome to Turbulence. And I have to apologize right up front. Um, if I fall asleep during my sermon, just wake me up. I mean, we were, it's usually you that falls asleep, but we, we just came off this men's trip and seeking God's face. And while we were doing it, we were golfing and skeet shooting and hunt, uh, not hunting, but if, when I was skeet shooting, it looked more like hunting because I couldn't hit a clay pigeon to save my life. We mountain biked, we kayaked, we um, played wiffle ball, uh, we street fought, you know, I mean, we did it all. I mean, it was just a really good time. And by the way, we did meet with God, but you know, we also got closer together. And, and I asked the guys for some video of their times together and the bonding. And, and uh, Ricky sent me this video of, of him. Yeah. That's, uh, there's Joe. There's Ricky. There's uh, Josh Blue. Chris McLean in the back. I'm telling you, these guys were having a blast. I mean, it got so good, they just started splashing each other with stuff. I mean, just having fun. I mean, look at that. Who would not want to go on 
a Zoolander road trip. That's exactly what happened on our retreat. You go ahead and kill it. Man, we, we did have a blast. If you really want to know what goes on, because we can't really share too much of it. You know, it's like one of those things about in Vegas, you know, the ladies that say, what do you talk about? Oh, we cannot tell you that. Here's how you find out the answer. Every one of the men were given what's called a challenge coin. They do this in the military. And uh, it, it's titled, What If? And the whole thing was, what if? About what if you allowed God to do something in your life? Ask a man, ask your dad, ask your husband, explain the coin to me. And they should be able to explain exactly what God was doing with all the men that were up there. So we had a great time. We're going to do it again next year. It was an absolute blast. Hey, if you're a guy and you were on the trip, uh, did you have fun? Let me hear some noise. Yeah, well, good. See, see, guys, before the trip, we didn't make noise in church. Now we're just going to make a lot of noise. That's good. So we had a blast. Man, it was awesome. So welcome to Turbulence, and the reason why we're talking about it is that we're using commercial aircraft flight as, an, as a metaphor of what we experience, that, that we experience in flight things that unnerve us. And the one that thing that people say over and over again that unnerves them more than anything is turbulence, because in the middle of it, you feel like the wings are going to fall off. And we did some research last week. We talked about the physics and also the engineering of an airplane, that the wings are not going to fall off the airplane. But you know, when you're in the middle of turbulence, you may know all the science. You may know all the engineering. It just doesn't feel that way. When all of a sudden, somebody's laptop falls out from the bin above you and lands on your lap, or all your coffee's spilt, or you just looking and you're seeing that wing you know, on that Airbus A350, and it's, it's, it's going up and down about 16 to 17 feet in variation, you're like rethinking whether or not the wings are going to come off. But that's how it is. And that's, I have to be honest with you, that's how it is in faith. That when you're trusting God and when you're flying with God and you're trying to walk in faith, you're going to find yourself in a place where the turbulence begins to make you wonder is he trustworthy? Is this really going to work? Is God really in control? I mean, we got the whole Russia thing going on. We got Republicans and Democrats hating each other and calling each other fascists. We have social issues that we've got to take out. Then there's marriage and parenting and finance and inflation and recession. And there's sometimes you get so shook, and I don't care how much you know the Bible or how how often you, you proclaim the creeds of our faith, that you wonder, you know, know, am I in the right plane? Is this thing going to fall apart? But even though we are in turbulence right now, our God is capable of taking us through the journey. And we just got to remain with the plane. And, and God uh, just tells us to stay in the fuselage. That's the cylindrical part of the plane where, you're, where your seat is. Remain in your seat. Don't give up the ship. And I love what David said in Psalm 91. He said, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, my fuselage in whom I trust, is that I am going to stay in this space. That's why Jesus told his disciples, he kind of was kind of letting them know that the world was probably going to go on as the world was going to go on. And he said, listen, I just got to warn you guys that there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of war, there will be famine, 
and uh, moms will, will, mother-in-laws will hate their son-in-laws, and, and uh, kids will get rowdy, and we'll have times with political issues. And, and so he's kind of why to say, listen, this stuff is going to happen. Turbulence happens in life. But he says, remain in me. Stay in the fuselage, and you will have peace. I, I don't know if I'm going to go into this, but I've always been amazed that when you're in the aircraft, that the atmosphere and the inertia in the aircraft is different than the turbulence on the outside. And I'm always fascinated that you could throw a ball up in the air in an object that's moving at 400 miles an hour, and the ball just lands, and it doesn't shoot to the back of the plane. But you stick your hand outside of that airplane, you're standing on the wing and throw the ball up, it shoots backwards. And Jesus was saying, listen, turbulence happens. It's a constant in the universe. There is no faith. There is no way of viewing life where turbulence gets removed. I know we love to have a faith journey where you believe in God and all the turbulence goes away. No, no, it's when we are in Christ. And Jesus said, remain in me and my peace will remain in you. That the cabin space in the middle of of the turbulence will have peace in it and grace, and mercy. Just remain in your seat. And David found this safety in the wings of God. He, he, he talked about the wings of God, how the, you know, that he found shelter in the wings of God. But you know, all this promise is only true in what God builds. God will accomplish what he has started in you. But the bad news is, if you're building your life your way, doing your own thing, I've got no promises for you. I mean, I hate to say it. It's, you say, well, I'm building it the American way. Well, I don't have any promises for that either, as much as I would love to. I'm a proud veteran. I, 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 I like the America that was built, but I'm just not sure whether or not the other one is still airworthy, the one that we're becoming. And, and so we all look for a party, a people, to try to join in order to feel safe. And there are no other guarantees other than what God builds in our lives So not everything with wings flies. And not everything that flies can handle the turbulence of life. And let me just show you some of the craziest, stupid things that have been built. I mean, look at, I mean, this guy thought that was going to work. I don't know, I'm I'm expecting boiled peanuts here. I'm I'm not expecting air flight. Look at all these different concepts of weird things. But you're going to notice through all the videos, all the gentlemen that are flying all have ties and suit jackets on. I mean, they did it with dignity. Because you can build something stupid and still live with dignity. You know, just remember that. Oh, here's the gray ghost. I don't think so. I don't see a lot of air flight going on there. This wasn't bad. I got to give this guy some kudos. I'm not sure he could handle turbulence. Somebody is going to lose a hat on that one. I love the way the investors from the back, we're going to make money on this. We're, go- well, we're not going to make any money on this. I mean, it, it looked like a good idea. Oh, and this guy, they found at a bar the night before, and they're like, he's already laying down. Let's just go ahead and strap him to the top of a car and put wings on his back. So uh, here we go. Let's see how this is going to work. Yeah, that didn't work. Yeah. Oh, this guy, how bad do they hate him? Let's put him in an airplane and shove him off a cliff. And he's just as happy as can be. Oh, yeah. I'm all right, Ma. I'm all right. He's cutting up. This is going to work. Roller skates and wings. 
Man, oh, here's the Peloton being invented right here. I mean, he's, he's trying to get it to work. Oh, yeah, look at that. That's it. It's going to work. Just flapping your wings doesn't mean you're ready for flight. Just because you have wings. Oh, there's Grandpa. Yeah, the old coot try, still trying to fly. There he is. And then this guy, he tried it at the age of seven. He thought, now that I'm 30, this will probably work. I'll run and jump off a cliff, and there we go. Oh, the only two bikes in the whole county happen to collide when they're trying to play. Here we go. And then this guy's just playing cheating. Oh, yes. Let's jump right to flying saucers. See, just because you build something, just because something's airborne, just because it seems for a moment like a good idea doesn't mean that it really can stand the test of time in the turbulence of life. So we've got to ask ourselves as we're building our lives and we're all in the middle of our lives, like take a look and see if are, are, you're about to get on an airplane. Are you getting on the right airplane? Is this the life that God wants me to live? And Psalm 127.1 says this, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord God's the city, the watchmen keep watch in vain. And it's like we all have these great ideas how this marriage is going to be different, how this country is going to be different, how my life is going to be different, how my children are going to be different. And then for some of us, we go about building the lives that we think are the, the smartest ones that we can put together. And some of us, for a while, we get airborne and we fly for a little bit, but all of a sudden, COVID-19 hits America. All of a sudden, racism happens. All of a sudden, well, that's not all of a sudden, but then all of a sudden, we begin to, we got, we got Russia, we got all kinds of things. All of a sudden, you have a pregnant teenager. All of a sudden, you're finding out that your spouse doesn't love you as much as they loved you when you got married 15 years ago. All of a sudden, we find something in the MRI that just scares the heck out of us. Life happens, and we gotta check to see whether or not we're building what God's building. Is he involved with what we're doing? So last week, we learned about turbulence and we also learned about, from an aeronautical standpoint, the differences of turbulence. But I love the definition. And the definition really serves as a great metaphor. This is what turbulence is defined as in aeronautics. The sudden change in airflow that can cause changes in the plane's altitude, direction, and attitude, which is the orientation of the aircraft while it's traveling in a certain direction. Have you ever had an event like that? You had an event that just kind of lowered your altitude a little bit. All of a sudden, you went from flying high, and you're dealing with depression, and you're wondering, what the heck? Or, or your, um, uh, the direction that you were going in, and you thought your marriage was going in, and it's like it started off right, but all of a sudden, you find yourself turbulence has kind of headed it in an op- uh, a wrong direction. Or, or maybe you're going through marriage. Maybe you're, you're like committed to death till we part, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, I think a lot of prisoners do the same thing. But, I mean, that commitment to, to it. But are you flying wonky? Yeah, you're staying together, but are you doing it well? Husbands, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Or wives, are you honoring and building up your husbands? So I, we looked at nine different sources of turbulence. We talked real quick about them. You know, we talked about thermal convection, the heating up of the ground, and how that affects an airplane. And we talked about... Um, uh, wake turbulence about the plane ahead of you and creates a vortex and mechanical turbulence and all these different turbulences that we experience, thunderstorms. But the one source that really clicked with me 
that I really saw in my personal life was self-induced turbulence. This is real. I mean, this isn't like a philosophy term. This is an aeronautic term. And planes can induce their own turbulence. Take a look at this. This is an example of self-induced turbulence. This is what the pilots call it. As you can see, as there begins speed braking, that begins to cause the plane to shudder. It creates a vortex over the wing that goes back and hits the uh, stabilizer in the back and the plane begins to shake a lot. But then it, it doesn't even have to be big, something like that. Every time you land, the, the landing lights come down. That little insertion of the, the friction of that little light underneath the airplane, you will actually feel the plane shudder. It doesn't have to be something big. It can be something small in life. But it's all happening because of the plane. The plane is doing it to itself. And one of the things that we find is as we look at our lives is that we're creating a lot of our turbulence. I mean, there's a the large percentage of the things that you are challenged with or makes life unhappy or unpleasant. In the middle of your journey, you're creating a lot of it. Now, I don't want to undershoot God here, but uh, a lot of people immediately experience turbulence, turbulence in their life, and it's like, well, if God was real, he wouldn't let me go through this. And we, you know, we'll, we'll, call, we'll call God's existence into question the moment we experience turbulence. Or another one for the, the Christian-bound crowd, everything's the devil. You know, that the devil does everything. And I'm not saying God doesn't, isn't involved in our lives and, and that the devil doesn't do stuff. But I, I really think when it comes to the devil, he only can work with what you give him. I mean, and so, but most of the turbulence I've experienced in my life, most of my difficulties, isn't been the devil on my shoulder telling me to do something. Um, it, it's really me. I, it's usually my attitude, my thoughts. I, again, I'm not saying the others don't impact, but most of my problems that I have with people, that I have with my wife, that I have at work, that I have in my own mind are self-induced. And I'm not the only one. Historically, uh, humanity is replete with, with people who churn up with a humanity that churns up this turbulence. There's Adam and Eve. God creates a garden, creates a place where Initially, there's no turbulence. But Adam and Eve, they don't want to do life on God's terms, so they, uh, they induce. Yes, somebody gave them an idea, but it was up to them what they decided. Uh, they, they decided, well, we don't want this garden on God's terms. We want life on our terms. So they take a hold of this idea. We could say the fruit represents the idea or the alternative life. And they, they buy it into it, and as a result of it, all of a sudden, the, the wings of the airplane begin, everything begins to shake. We call it the fall, and, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was a 50-foot drop when you're, all of a sudden your airplane goes, you know, and drops below. And so they experience it, but they self-induced that. God didn't make them that way. The devil didn't make them do it. They chose to do that. Then we've got Noah. God offers Noah a new start. He's like, okay, I'll get, get, I'll get a new man, get a new woman. We'll put him in a boat. We'll wipe out the other one. Now, before you get angry at God for wiping out the, the inhabitants of the earth, he just accelerated what was already going to happen. 
He could have waited about, you know, another uh, 10,000 years for humanity to beat itself to death the way that it was going. He's like, listen, you know, I ain't got time for this, you know. He's like, let's just accelerate the process. You're already heading down anyway. Let's start again with with this new Adam and Eve. So he got Noah and his wife, puts them in this uh, boat. They, They land, and it's like, okay, first thing that he does is plant a vineyard. Restore the garden. Let's put Adam and Eve back together again. That's kind of part of our calling is to, to bring that, create spaces for, for God and people to be safe and flourishing to occur. So Noah does it, but you know, so he plants it, it grows. Don't know how much time passes. But Noah just starts getting hammered. And he probably is getting hammered every night. And so he ends up getting hammered, getting naked, because they seem to go together a lot. You know, I don't know if you've ever been there, but, you know, you'd seem to lose your clothes when you get hammered. And so um, uh, it causes a problem in the family. The family, uh, he has a falling out with one of his boys. He curses the boy. The boy rises up to be another tribe. They war against each other. You know, it's like, wow, Noah, good job. But he wasn't the last one. God invites Abraham to come in mighty nation. So we started with a garden, then we moved to a boat. And now let's, let's, let me go with this guy's family. We'll, we'll make a mighty nation out of this piece. So he promises them, you're going to be as flourishing as the stars of the sky. You're going to have that many children. And, and we got a man and a woman again. We got, we got Abraham and, and Sarah. And they just can't wait. They're waiting on God. It's like, come on, come on, come on. We got, we got to get this children thing going. We're in our 90s. We're not having any kids. My wife can't have a kid. You know, we need to get going. So he decides to start his own family with another woman. It's like, oh, that went real well. And so the turbulence evolves into this Arab nation that Israel has been fighting for the last millenniums over and over again. Well, who created that? The devil? No, Abraham. Abraham decided, created his own turbulence and it became a national turbulence. God decides, okay, I'm going to create. This time I'm going to have a different, I, I start with this, with, with Moses and I'm going to make this nation and, uh, and, and, I'll do it with this nation. No, didn't work. Didn't work on the, the garden level, the boat level, uh, the father level, now the national, national level. What is he showing us? We have a propensity as a species to create our own turbulence. You leave me alone with a cell phone in the house and my wife out of town. I, I, almost every man in here knows exactly what kind of turbulence is about to be created. We have the ability to do it and create the term. I mean, even King David, a man after God's own heart, God makes him king, so what does he use his kingship for? To go get another man's wife, commits adultery with her, and then has the man killed. It's like, what? Even David, the giant killer? Yeah, yeah. All of us have the propensity to create our own turbulence. So the reason why I tell you this, and I could give you stories of Jonah who made his own problem. God didn't want him to get swallowed by the whale. Jonah created his own turbulence because he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. I mean, the stories are just one after another. Maybe your story is one of those stories of the problems that you've caused in your own marriage, the problems that you've caused with your own kids, the problems that you've caused at work, or maybe the thoughts that go on in your head. The reason why I tell you all this is not to shame you is to let you know that you're not above this. There's, uh, there, you're not above this. 
don't know if you do the 23 and me, and I don't know about all this stuff of, about anthropology and all, but they are telling us that there's a little bit of Neanderthal in all of us. And I don't know if it, you know, I don't understand all that. And I look at you, and some of you, yeah, there's definitely some Neanderthal in that guy. You know, I, uh, your eyes are just a little too close together. No, I'm only kidding. Um, it's like, but I don't need to have Neanderthal in me to act like an animal, Okay. That, that's not my excuse, but it does show me that we all are capable of it. So you're not alone. So in church here today, don't worry, we're a gathering of people who are broken, who are, who are creating our own turbulence. So you're safe. We're not going to single anybody out. You're not alone. You're not above this. And I'm also happy to tell you that your flight does not end here. Because God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purposes. That when we are in Christ and in what God is building and when we remain in Christ, abide in the vine and and remain in him, he's going to get us through the flight. He's going to get us to where he wants us to be. And and it's a great place. So I began to think about my self-induced turbulence and I could not make an exhaustive list about this because we all have skills. We have intuitive, creative skills. We can put a man on the moon. We can, we can uh, you know, create different ways to cook sausage. Um, we, we can make coffee a hundred different ways. We, I mean, we're just like brilliant. But, and, and we're each individually brilliant to create our own turbulence our own way. So I, I kind of came up with a list of three things that I deal with that I thought maybe you would deal with, because like me, you have a little Neanderthal in you, that maybe these were kind of the things that, that you deal with. The first one that I deal with when I create my own turbulence is anxiety. Anxiety is a kind of a funny one, because when I thought about it from an airplane standpoint, I couldn't come up with a graphic of anybody else that had illustrated this, but it would be equivalent to stirring up the air before you fly through it. So it would be equivalent to the pilot in the middle of the flight, getting out of the airplane, putting on a jet pack, flying 100 yards in front of the airplane, stirring up the air, and then coming back to the airplane and flying through it. It's you, in your mind, stirring up what your future is going to look like, even though you haven't even flown there. I've come to use the phrase, it's coming up with the prognosis before you have a diagnosis. You know, I do that all the time. I'm already coming up with fixing things about my body, and I don't even know I have it wrong with me yet. But we all do that. We stir up the future space, the air that we're going to flow through. What's going to happen in my marriage? What's going to happen with inflation? What's going to happen with Russia? What's going to happen? And we begin to imagine it. And there are things that we shouldn't be stirring up. This is why Paul said in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. Stop stirring up the air you're going to fly through. But he says, here's what you're supposed to be doing with that air. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Instead of stirring up the air in front of you for turbulence, that you're supposed to be stirring up the air around you with thanksgiving and with the concerns that you may have for life. 
that's what you're supposed to be filling the airspace of your mind with, with the air around you, instead of filling it up with anxiety. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 10. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God in that flying space of our minds, the, the altitude of where, where our journey takes us. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He's like, you can't think that way. You know, I used to, when the kids were teenagers and they would be out late and it was 11.30 or, or 1 o'clock and they were about to die at my hand if it was 1 o'clock, I would think about five different ways a car could crash. I would think, well, you know, they're coming over the Coot River Bridge. I could see Morgan just driving right off that thing. You know, I, I, you know, I, I could just picture all kinds of things that could be going on with my kids. And God's like, listen, why are you creating that airspace in your head? I can think about all the different ways. I'm, what do I do if I lose my job? How am I going to make money? And, and, and what's going to happen in this? If you look at an MRI, what's going on in my life? We all do it. And, and God is like, listen, stop stirring up the air in front of you. Remain in me. I'm already telling you, there's tribulation out there, but you will have peace with me. I don't need you adding to the tribulation with the imagination. And he's like, bring all these thoughts captive. I'm gonna give you a personal example. There's one part of the thing that, that I will defend rigorously is that when we're children of God, God talks to us. And I know that sounds odd because people are always like, so let me guess, God talks to you. You know, it's like, yes. Now, it's not this audible voice most of the time, but there are ways that God communicates with the most important part of me, my soul, and lets me know the good, the bad, the things I should be doing, what I shouldn't be involved in. Yes, very much. Matter of fact, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, they know my voice, and they hear me. So that's not irregular. So if I'm gonna tell you God spoke to me and you think I'm a weirdo, no, if you believe in Christianity where God doesn't talk to the human soul, you're a weirdo. No, you're a weirdo. No, you're a weirdo. I know that was, that was childish. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, so let's just say nobody's a weirdo. But, um, so what I'm gonna tell you, you can reject my experience and that's okay. You may say, I don't think he really saw that. He's like, oh, that's okay. You have a right to, but, but let me... God does talk to people, and he will talk to you. So I've been incredibly anxious for, about my health, and, and it's just a weakness of mine. Uh, I can do amazing things, but I just have a hard time with this. I don't know why. It's, it's my turbulence, and, and I seem to stir it up best. And, and so I was really concerned about all the multiple things that could happen, uh, uh, you know, and just recently, it was like last year, somebody sent me an email that had been sent to them 15 years earlier about my grandmother. It was a one. It was it had a little bit about our family history, but it was about our grandmother. And for some reason, this person, I mean, out of love, sent it to me. They weren't doing anything malicious or bad, but it came to me, and when it came to me, was critical because my hands started shaking. And my knees have started shaking. And I've noticed a vibration throughout my body. And it's like, and it, it's because I screwed up my friggin' back, okay? That, uh, and, and I don't know if it's anything more than that, but, that, but it's, that'll scare you. Because in the email, 
a one-liner. Grandma Rienzo, at the age of 62, got Parkinson's and was dead by the age of 78. Didn't say Grandma Rienzo was a wonderful woman who took her family through the Depression, who raised great children. You know, that was an amazing woman. No, all the line said was she was 62 and she was dead by 78. And that email was out there in the world for 15 years and arrives to me when I'm 62. Okay? I don't know about you. It scared the crap out of me. All right? It's like I forgot that I was going to die of something. You know, but it particularly started, my wings started going. I mean, I was having everything fall out of the overhead bins. And I mean, I was just like faint with anxiety. It's my weakness. It's what I have. So, so I get back to this. So just about four weeks ago, or no, maybe it's six weeks ago now, I was just thinking about all the things that are going wrong with me. And God knows I'm such a pitiful man. So he decided to supernaturally give me a vision. It doesn't happen often, and you can deny it, but you can't deny that it does happen biblically. Let me tell you the vision. I'm in a house. It feels like I'm in Oklahoma. It's all wide, out, wide open spaces. And I'm in the house. The, the front door is blown off, and I'm in there, and there's a swirling going on. And, and Deanna and baby Arlen in the house, and, and, and it's just like, and I'm thinking, it's a tornado. And so I'm, and I've always been fascinated with tornadoes. I was into meteorology. Uh, meteorology. I, I, I can't say it anymore, but I was really into it when I was a kid. So I wanted to go out and see the tornado. So I went out and I was looking at, so I ran around the house and I went to the back and I was looking for a tornado. In the middle of it, I was like, I wish I had my camera because I want to get a picture of a, of a twister. You know, and I wanted to see this thing. And then all of a sudden I realized it was not a tornado. And I did, I could not have imagined this. I've never seen it in a movie. But what would happen, it was not twisters moving around. All of a sudden in front of me, while I was running, in front of me, this column of bones rose up in front of me. Bones, dry bones, all in us, a cylindrical column that raised about 100 feet into the air. And you know, and all my problems are orthopedic. I mean, it's all about bones and, and, and all that stuff. And all these bones were together, but they were there. And, and I, I would have to stop because I thought it was, it was trying to crush me. And then all of a sudden it went, and it turned to ash and just floated away. So I started running and another one formed next to me. And it was the exact same thing of bones. And, and then I dodged that one. I ran over another one. And then all of a sudden in this, I mean, I'm telling you, this thing only lasts like five seconds. But the knowledge that was streaming into my head was like off the chart. And God was saying, listen, these are all mirages. All your speculations are mirages. You think these are going to kill you. Whatever you hear, whatever you see in the MRI, whatever, all that stuff, they're not going to kill you. And all of a sudden it was like, and they would all disappear. And I remember Deanna was there and Deanna was like, Dad, what's going on? And I said, listen, it's just trying to scare us. It's not really going to kill us. And I remember the sense of turbulence in it. And I tell you what, I came out of that and I canceled my subscription to WebMD. And I decided I'm stop, 
I don't care how they do surgery. I don't care all that stuff. I'm not going to Google Parkinson's. I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm not going to die of something sometime. And we all go. We don't get to pick the way that we go. But the question is, was I going to live the rest of my flight on this planet in fear of what was going to happen to me in the future? And God was saying, your anxiety is killing you. I talked to this magnificent surgeon. This guy, he's over at MUSC, and, and, and he's like, uh, yes, Mr. Renzi, you got things wrong with your back, and we can't fix what's wrong with your back, but um, you are now a, ma- a 63-year-old man whose hands shake. Really, doctor? Yeah, that's all you are. You're a 63-year-old man whose hands shake. Can you live with that? Can you live with pain? I'm like, yes, yeah, sir. He goes, yeah. He says, I don't know what's going to kill you, but it's probably not going to be this. And he said to me, I know you got problems and I'm not minimizing and I know you have pain and we unfortunately can't treat it because of your allergies to certain things and all that stuff. Um, He said, but you need to live life. I was like, yes, sir. And we left there. And that's why this weekend I rode my mountain bike. I kayaked. um, I played wiffle ball like a madman, like a madman. Oh, sure, I lost 20 to nothing. I hear you over there talking about it. But I dove like a 63-year-old madman. They had to help me back to my room, but I did. But here's, here's the thing. Your anxiety and your fear is ruining your life. It's not the devil. It's not God. It's you in your own airspace right between your ears. And God is saying, okay, we need to knock this off. If you get a diagnosis, okay, we can work with that. Call for the elders of the church and they'll pray for you. And we'll believe for healing and then we'll trust God for outcome. But there is no other option. You can't live in fear all your life. Second thing, now that we got out of my life, maybe I can get into your life a little bit. Okay, unforgiveness. That'll cause some turbulence in your life. This kind of self-induced turbulence can cause an effect in two ways. One, the shame that we have towards each other. It's kind of like every time you begin to move forward, you've put the speed bump in your life. You know, your, your worst mistake. And you're, every time you start getting going with God, boom, boom. Oh, yeah, that's right. I committed adultery. Boom, boom. That's right. I have a problem with porn. Boom, boom. I, you know, I, I lost my job. Boom, boom, boom. And, and, and we just keep constantly throwing unforgiveness in ourselves. And we live with shame. And, it, and shame just causes the the plane to vibrate. The other way that it affects us is that we hold other people in guilt. And so it, it, it makes our relationships wonky. When we go to the party and we see that other person, we, we don't act normal. We gotta go to the kitchen this way because we don't wanna walk around and pass her that way. We gotta, you know, we gotta avoid things or we just are married together but yet we don't talk or we sleep in separate rooms. Do you, don't you realize that's turbulence? Don't you realize that plane is not gonna fly? You gotta get unforgiveness out of your life. And I, I really think it's interesting that when Jesus t- teaches his disciples to pray and we've tried to, dis- to discern this theologically because it, does sound a little wonky. It sounds like things are codependent in it. But let me just read to you. It's in the Our Father. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
The quality of our airspace towards ourselves and between God seems to affect the quality of our airspace with other people. The quality of our airspace towards other people seems to affect the quality of our airspace between us and God. It seems to be that forgiveness, I mean, unforgiveness affects any kind of flying. Marriage flying, Jesus flying, parenting flying, work flying, and they all seem to be, it's like I gotta, I gotta resolve my guilt before God with his mercy. I've gotta, I've gotta take that mercy and give it to other people. If I don't give that mercy to God, I mean to other people, God says, well, how do you, how do you say that you love me when you hate your brother? It kind of seems to mess it all up. And I don't know all of the components of it, but I do know that unforgiveness will screw up your flight really bad. The third thing is compromise. They don't have to be major compromises because most of us are Bible belters here and we're kind of like, well, I'm not a, I'm not a homosexual, I'm not a transgender, I vote pro-life. You know, we'll go through that little superficial list of what we think makes a Christian and not a Christian and we are all wrong. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. It doesn't have to be a major deviation. I love what the Song of Solomon says. It says the little foxes are ruined the vineyards. It's the little foxes. Now, speculation is that the fox, one, can nibble at the lower grapes and affect it. But probably the truest way that a fox affects a vineyard is by urinating on the vine. Sorry about that. But that's the picture that we're being given. So can you imagine the fox goes over, does its own little treatment on the vineyard, and then you come out and you take the grapes. You know, this is how Merlot got invented, okay? That's why Merlot has that little bite to it. You know, that's it right there. I know all of you, I saw you just switched to uh, Coors Light, didn't you? Yeah, everybody just switched over to Coors Light. But it doesn't take this giant thing to ruin your marriage. It, it can be just little things. A little porn habit on the side. A little bitterness on the side. Just a, kind of a, a little bit of fighting for control in the marriage on the side. An unresolved fear can ruin the marriage. I mean, it, it doesn't take these big things in our lives. I, I love it. You could rewrite this as saying, it's the little landing lights that shake the plane. Just those little lights that affect its flight. So we're talking about compromise. So let me just say something about obeying God. Because we all screw this up. Obeying God is something we mess up in our heads long before we mess it up with our lives. We get it wrong in our airspace before we get it wrong in our living space. And here's how we do this, is that we're obeying God because we want God to love us. Or we're obeying God because we're afraid of going to hell. Or we're obeying God because I want to go to heaven. Let me just tell you, those are all wrong. But most of us evaluate life based upon I gotta perform in order to go to heaven, or I've gotta perform or I'm going to go to hell. So if you're obeying God that way, you're already creating turbulence. Because once you screw up, what do you do with that? You back in hell again? 
You were flying high, really good. You had a couple good weeks of just being a good person. And all of a sudden, you screw up. And all of a sudden, you plunge like a fallen angel into the pit of the fire. And then you got you to start with your scorched wings, rising up out of the flames again, and work your way to God. And then God finally loves you. It's like, that's sick. I mean, I, mean, I have to be honest with you. That's, that's mythology. That's not Christianity. Remember it was called the good news? That doesn't sound like good news to me. That just seems like a rehashing of the Old Testament. And that, and that was a good thing, but we all proved we couldn't pull it off. We needed a good thing. So if you're obeying God to get love, just stop. Um, he loves you. And if you will call out to him, a broken and a contrite spirit, he will not despise. He will not turn it away. It doesn't matter what you've done. He absolutely loves you. And through Christ has purchased your life. But he's got a life to give you if you will receive him and declare him Lord in your life. That's it. I don't have to be perfect. Uh-uh. I don't have to keep all the commandments. Well, not for the reason you're thinking. So why do we walk in the principles of God? Well, the first one is to bring Christ's glory by reflecting the honor of his grace. Paul said in Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, so please him in all aspects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's like, let people see how good God is in your life. Most of the people here who don't believe in God that are here today are not, not believing in God because of science. That's not the big nullifier. Most people in our society don't believe in God because the people who believe in God don't make it look good. I mean, that's kind of, we're excessively judgmental, too frequently hypocritical, and scared to death all the time. You know, I have to say, when I was in the uh, surgeon's office and he's talking to me, he's like, he's trying to figure out if what I do is going to be affected. I was almost embarrassed to tell him. He said, so, Mr. Anza, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And I'm like, I know what that means. I shouldn't be scared. If anybody in this room who shouldn't be scared, it should be me. I'm scared, (laughs) you know? But God, when we walk in the principles of God, it's not because we're trying to earn something. It's because we've been dignified, made dignified by his grace. And then God wants us to show that dignity to the world. That our marriages look good. See, you should be able to look at my marriage. My children should be able to look at my marriage. My grandchildren should be able to look at my marriage and say, I want what Papa and Susu have. And then I tell them, well, I'll tell you how Papa and Susu have it. Is we walk in the, in the ways of the Lord. It's like, wow, that looks good. I think I'll do that. It's like, cool. But, this, but the, the other reason why we do it, and I think this is kind of more apropos for today, is to bring the order of God's kingdom into our lives is that when we walk in the principles of God, it changes how the airplane handles. Solomon said it this way. He said, my son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Doesn't say if you do these, you go to heaven. If you don't do these, you go to hell. No, no. It says, but if you, if you listen to the wisdom of God, you've just reduced about 80% of your turbulence. 
You'll still get 20% of the other turbulence out there, and, and they, that may shock you and rock your world, but it will tell you this, this will reduce a lot of your turbulence. You will have peace. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Which one of us among us wants to stir up turbulence with God? Are we crazy? Why would we want to do that? Do you want to create turbulence with other people? Husband, do you just love going home and ticking off your wife? Wife, do you like going home and undermining your husband? I mean, do we just want to be at odds with other people? No, no nobody here wants to say that out loud. But when we don't walk in the principles of God, that's the flight Our little aircraft, you know, that little thing that we're doing, that we're building, that's exactly how the thing flies. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Well, that sounds like a flight I want to be on. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So in closing, maybe today your life is experiencing turbulence or is not going right because you're not flying in what God has built. Maybe, maybe you're kind of like, in, you built your marriage your way, this is what a man is, this is what a woman is. I mean, society is telling us what is masculine and what is feminine, and then couldn't figure it out, and so now saying that they're both myths and they don't really exist. It's like, when the world can't figure out what is what, it then says, it's not real. Seriously. Or maybe it is all real, but we haven't lived it the way that God wanted it to be lived. Masculinity isn't chauvinism and it isn't misogyny. Feminism isn't hyperfeminism. I mean, being a, a woman, that's not what it is. And the world's going to try to tell us you need to build women, you need to do this. Men, you need to do this. You need to fly your airplane this way. How about, how about we just do it the way God told us to do it? He's, he's got a lot of experience flying airplanes. He's like the Chuck Yeager of the spiritual world. He's like that guy, Sully, who landed the airplane in the Hudson. I'll tell you what, I'd fly with that guy any day, you know? Maybe you're here. Your life lacks joy because you're having to fly through the trouble that you're creating in your own airspace. So as we go to expressions, and this is a time of communion, a time of grace, this is a time of maybe writing a prayer or an anxiety or a thought or a fear and pinning it to the cross, a time maybe going to one of our pastors and praying, but this is a time for you to go through your pre-flight checklist. You hope your pilot does this. Hey, man, have you checked to see if the right wing's still on the plane? Yeah, the bolts are a little loose, but let's go with it. You wouldn't even think of that. So ask God for his forgiveness and grace. It's here today. Second, ask God if there's any turbulent way within you or turbulent generating way in you. David said it this way in Psalm 51. God, search me and see if there's any wicked, any anxious, 
any frequency that I am generating in my own soul that is affecting my flight, my marriage, my relationship with people. He says, God, search me. So I'm going to ask you, ask God today. And, and that insight God gave me in that five-second vision changed me. And God, in five seconds or less, if you keep your heart open and you ask him to speak to you, could reveal a turbulent way in you that he wants you to get rid of. Then last, begin to learn the principles of God for life. Stop being wives in your own eyes. We got 5,000 years of anthropolo uh, anthropological data in the Bible. We know what good men look like. We know what bad men look like. We know what good women look like. We know what bad women look like. We know what good nations look like. We know what bad nations look like. We know what, what being good with money looks like and what being bad looks like. We know what good sex looks like. We know what bad... We got, we got it all there. Why are we going to show up at the airport, go through, check through, and say, and they say, ask us for verification on our tickets? I don't need an airplane. I'm going to fly my way. Oh, really? What gate is that at? Wait, I don't, I don't need an airplane. No, everybody's going to fly in an airplane or something. It's time for us to learn the principles of God and for him to teach me how to be a good husband. Because he will. How to be a good wife, a good mom, a good dad, a good friend, a good brother, a good coworker, a good boss, a good worker. I mean, God wants to help us so that it will reduce the amount of turbulence in our lives. Father, as we come into this grace moment, you are here not to crash our plane. You're here to teach us how to fly. You're here with grace and mercy and truth and love. Lord God, I need to know what a real man is. My wife needs to know what a real woman is. We, are, we think just because we got chromosomes, we think we know what it is. It takes more than chromosomes to make a marriage work. It takes more than being somebody who can have a child to be a father, to be a mother. So God, we're asking you to teach us Show us your ways. Help us to fly. Thank you, God.